Welcome to the Starting With One podcast, Success Leaves Clues series with Robin Bailey and Al McDonald. Have you ever wondered what makes someone successful? What are they doing that is different? How do they achieve greatness? We believe that success leaves clues. In this series, we are interviewing very successful people from different walks of life to hear their stories. We'd like to remind our listeners that the views expressed in this podcast are those of our guests and not necessarily those shared by our hosts. Welcome back to the Starting With One podcast, Success Leaves Clue series. Today's episode is sponsored by Life and Legacy Advisory Group. We believe sound financial advice improves people's lives. We are also brought to you by ARIA Benefits. We help business leaders not only attract and retain top talent, but more importantly, not to lose those people that we need. I'm your host, Robin Bailey, here with my co-host and bike riding business partner, Al McDonald. Al, what do you say? You got a big ride coming up. I do. We're entering into the month of August. It's my monthly challenge to raise uh, money for a good cause for children with cancer. So looking forward to getting on my bike this weekend. And it's going to be a long weekend and it's supposed to be a nice weekend. So I'm looking forward to that. And I'm looking forward to our current podcast and meeting our next guest. Yes. Well, with a good lead in there on the show today is Kathy Min, Manager, People Operations and Talent at Open Care. Welcome to the show, Kathy. Thank you, team. Well, why don't we start with the obvious? And of course, I already know because I am working with Open Care. I think it's such an awesome company and your leadership team is just amazing. But why don't we start with the obvious? What is Open Care? Yeah, I mean, Open Care is considered a marketplace. We do partner, you know, dental practices with dental patients. And so if you're ever in the market for a new dentist, let's say you've moved to a new location or you're just, you know, shopping around, feel free to use the Open Care platform. You'll be able to generate a list of dental practices in and around your area. I always say that uh, open care is something that you could really sink your teeth into. Absolutely. See what I did there? See what I did there? You know, <laughs> couldn't resist the cheesy line. We got to do it. Well, Kathy, I think, you know, where I'd like to start with this is we talked about it offline. There's no playbook for what HR and people leaders have gone through. But I want to go back to the beginning because I always want to understand how did you end up where you are? Like, tell us about your career journey and kind of end with how did you end up in the spot that you are now? Yeah, I mean, I think I really resonated with a previous guest that you had on the show, also in the HR space, Joanne Kimmick, and the whole process of the whole idea of, you know, HR finding me. And I mean, my background has always been in forensic sciences, and I chose the field of study because growing up, I was heavily influenced by shows like CSI, like Daxter, Forensic Files, and you know, you get the idea. And I really wanted to perform autopsies as a career because of the challenges, the learning opportunities, and the really the out-of-box thinking that was required for a position like that. What really swayed me away from the field was children, and particularly children in their worst circumstances. And the thought of the idea of carrying out, you know, autopsies on the little people was really gut-wrenching. And especially for someone like me, who grew up really close with my younger cousins, it wasn't something that I could envision myself you know, doing for the rest of my life. And so I leveraged the support of guidance counselors at U of T, really reassessing my options, what I liked about forensic sciences, what I didn't. And my counselor actually suggested HR. You know, at first I was a little confused because I've always been in the sciences and I thought that I would be recommended for something in the sciences, but I was a bright eyed, bushy tailed, you know, desperate university student that really needed to pivot really quickly. So I took a leap of faith. And, you know, HR is such a multifaceted industry. You can specialize in different areas, whether it be 
talent, DE&I, learning and development, culture engagement, compensation, you know, HR strategy. And you really get the out-of-the-box thinking and challenges that are different every day. And so for me, I chose the path of talent and HR strategy because I love meeting new people. I like striking up conversations. And the talent side really allows me to do that, while the HR strategy side really lets my science background come into play. And so, you know, with the structures, the processes, the procedures, and I think of it as a happy marriage, I think, from that standpoint. And so I gave it a shot, and here we are today. That is a really cool story and very unique. I can almost guarantee we're over 80 episodes in into this series. And I've never had anyone talk about coming from that background and then switching over to HR, right? And you brought up something that I never even thought of when you're going into that line of work. You're right, talking about, you know, children. And, you know, I can, not in that sense, but I can relate a little bit because part of our industry, there's something called dependent life. So if an employee were to lose a spouse or hmm, I don't even want to think about it, lose a child, it's really meant to cover burial expenses. And in my career, I've delivered those checks when someone has lost a child. And it's just such a, I agree with you. I mean, it's just such a horrible thing to think about. So that's amazing. I mean, what an interesting story to where you are now. You mentioned, Kathy, about your 180 degree turn in terms of your career change. And, you know, I think really both of us can relate a little bit because I came actually from an engineering background before I coming into this. So people wouldn't probably put those two and two together, but it is interesting the way that you can rely on, on your skills and, you know, they are transferable to new roles. So let's talk about your new role a little bit. That is, again, like you said, a pretty drastic career choice or career change rather. In hindsight, is there anything that you would wish you had known before you jumped into HR? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think HR is a very rewarding career, but I think the one thing I wish I'd known is how emotionally and sometimes, you know, mentally demanding the area of work can be. And that kind of attributes to the fact that not only HR professionals are expected to uphold, you know, company processes, procedures, sometimes redeemed as, you know, your policy police, but we're also the advocate for employees in the workplace and their voice and really ensuring that they're getting the best employee experience as possible. And so it is a fine balancing act. With the pandemic, it's also playing a pivotal role in shifting the way that we work, you know, coming up with new ideas, new plans to really keep our workforce safe while still engaging our employees. That was kind of new territory for all of us in that space. That's a great lead in to my next question, because you touched on there generating new ideas in unfamiliar territory, which we all just went through. So can you maybe talk to us about how you go about doing that? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, starting a a new point in terms of generating new ideas really starts with identifying what your challenge is or what you're trying to solve for and really honing in on that and breaking the pattern of, you know, repeated behavior, repeated thinking processes. There's that famous saying that insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. And when it comes to generating new ideas, it's really important that you're not doing the same thing over and over and really embracing the fail fast mentality. For us, you know, we face many challenges as a remote first organization, whether it be the war on talent or embracing a remote work culture, engaging our workforce in really creative ways to be able to tackle this. And so I think the most important thing is also being able to listen to your employees and workforce. And so what is it that you want to see? What is it that you want to see less of? And really using that as a base to start building around. I've also leveraged past experiences and implementing what's worked for me in previous organizations, researching on what's worked for other companies, leaning on my HR network for new ideas. But at the end of the day, it really comes down to listening and understanding the root issue before you're diving into creating new ideas and implementing change. 
the word on the street is there's these great podcasts out there where we have such great guests. As you mentioned, Joanna Kimyich. I'm glad you brought that up because that was a bit of an experiment for us. And you've, you've talked about it, drawing on experience, drawing on other people and, and experiences. And I think, you know, you said it yourself, that was such a great episode. And that's why, you know, we're talking to people like yourselves, because when we did that episode, didn't know where it was going to go. All of a sudden, the entire HR community and others reached out and said, you got to do more of these. This is great information. So I think having you on today and talking about what you guys are doing in this space during this time is incredibly important. Kathy, you mentioned the current war around talent and some of the challenges that you are facing in this organization. Do you want to talk a little bit more about that and maybe what you're doing? Because I don't think that is unique to you. I think everyone is experiencing a lot of that right now. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. I think regardless of if you were in the HR you know, space, the talent space, or even interviewing as a hiring manager, you've experienced what's called the war on talent. The war on talent was a term that was coined by Stephen Hankins, which refers to the increasingly competitive landscape for not only recruiting new talent into your organization, but also the ability to retain your talented top performing employees as well. Can you break that down a little bit further for us? Because the war on talent, again, Everybody has heard what that is, but maybe just break that down a little bit further. Yeah. So if we really break it down into two parts, the first being able to recruit talent, it's definitely shifted and has become a job seekers market and has been for the last few years. We're seeing the shift where work-life balance and flexible working arrangements are top of mind for employees. And interestingly, about 40% or so of those on the market are willing to give up a portion of their pay for flexibility in their schedules. And so That puts a lot of pressure on your talent teams, your hiring managers to essentially convince candidates on why they should work for your company and essentially move as quickly as possible. On the other hand, it's also the ability to not only retain your employees, but also engage them in a way that is motivational, inspiring to them to risk facing the what's called the great resignation, where employees are essentially quitting jobs they no longer want to be in. And so, you know, in part, it's due to the pandemic where people are really pausing, reflecting on their lives and really reevaluating their way of work and the way that they've always worked. And I think it's fair to say that in comparison to previous years, HR teams are really dedicating a large part of their budget in investing in employee engagement development programs in hopes of being able to retain and invest in their people so that they're not back on the market looking for new talent and, you know, engaging in the war on talent, which can essentially be a very vicious cycle. Kathy, do you find it more challenging in the tech space? Absolutely. I mean, I think there's different skill sets in different industries, but I think in the tech space particularly itself, there's different industries that they had to be in. There's different experiences that they need to be in in order to be able to take that experience and apply it to a different tech industry. So it is slightly challenging in the tech space. Yes. Yeah, I would agree with that. And that's what I'm hearing as well. And I mean, one of the reasons is ease of movement. I mean, you mentioned a remote first. I mean, when ARIA Benefits now is a remote first organization and you can be working anywhere. So it's very easy as long as you've got Wi-Fi and your connection and your laptop. So yeah, that echoes what I'm seeing as well. Absolutely. So Kathy, with the war going on and the challenges that everyone is facing out there, has that changed the market itself? Have you seen a change there? And can you talk about that? Yeah, 
I mean, I want to make the analogy that kind of relates to real estate, my fiance being a realtor, I'm hearing a lot that, you know, we're seeing a lot of houses on the market for longer periods of times than what we would typically see. And it's shifted to be a buyer's market, which in this case, you know, very similar to talent, our candidates are our buyers. And we in the talent space are your selling agents working really hard to be able to close the deal and get really creative with how we're being able to, you know, attract talent to our company. And so it's definitely made our search on talent much tougher, and it has changed the way that we recruit overall. It's no longer the mentality of posting and praying, where you're posting a role and praying that candidates are naturally applying. It does involve our talent teams actively hunting and sourcing for talent on LinkedIn, let's say. And you know, some of them may not be on the market, but it's the ability to be able to spark that interest in them to see if there can be a potential fit. Historically, we've provided, you know, shortlist of candidates to hiring managers to review at their leisure, but now we're booking as quickly as we can and slotting candidates in at the next availability with the hiring manager to really prevent losing the talent to a different organization. Like you mentioned, Robin, although we are a remote first organization, we do have the luxury of a broader talent market as opposed to, you know, roles where you're requiring staff to come into an office, but it has still been quite challenging for us. I bet. And I know I'm thinking it. So the audience is probably thinking it too. How do we win? How do we win that war? <laughs> I mean, I think that's a million dollar question. And it's fair to say that there isn't a specific formula for success from that standpoint, because it can depend on so many different factors and it's very candidate specific, right? But it goes back to what I mentioned in the past is really listening. So listening to what your candidates are looking for. Is it flexibility? Is it work-life balance? Is it total compensation, career progression? Or is it just, you know, company culture and really understanding what motivates the candidate to be looking for a new role? Because only when you understand that motivation is where you'll be able to really focus in and win on that. I think the war on talent in terms of the retaining side, what's worked really well is focus groups, employee engagement surveys, day interviews are also really great. Again, tapping into the listening channel, but you want to ensure that you're not overdoing it and making sure that there is an action plan to tackle the items that come out of those surveys, because there is nothing more discouraging than employees taking the time to fill out a survey and voicing their opinions where you know there's no plan for change. And so if you're brave enough to open up those listening channels, have a plan in place so that your employees are trusting you with their voice. Did you say stay interviews? Yeah. That's a so, term I've never heard. Maybe you can extend on that. Yeah. So I'm sure you've heard of exit interviews where yes. when an employee departs an organization, you schedule some time to kind of go through questions on what their experiences has been like with your organization. Stay interviews are for current employees that are still employed, haven't raised any concerns in regards to attrition or any concerns from that standpoint, but you want insight as to how they're feeling. You know, what can we do better to engage you? What's your relationship like with your team? What's your relationship like with your leaders? Are you happy with, you know, where you're currently at? So more so deep diving into that and getting a better understanding of how they're currently feeling, staying as an employee. That is a great idea. That one's a new one for me. It might not be to some of our other HR audience, but to me, that's a new one. And I think Al and I will take that away. Tahim, I'm interested in, again, delving a little bit more into this stay interview. How often would you do that with an individual? 
Yeah, I mean, we typically do it probably once every quarter, and it's not the same employees that you're tapping into every quarter. It's different groups from different departments, so whether it be sales or whether it be, you know, the broader HR talent team, whether it be on finance, just to give us the opportunity to have very diverse and open conversations, open views. They are confidential, so they are, you know, whether it be myself or a member of our HR ops team meeting with the employees, we do take notes, but the notes don't get shared back to our senior leadership level in terms of, you know, names being connected to it. It is aggregated data and saying, you know, here are a few key points that we're seeing resonate with our employees. Here's where we should tackle it and whatnot. And I'm assuming the fact that you're doing it and continuing to do it means that it's been a successful practice? Absolutely. I mean, it gives us the insight and the opportunity to really be able to deep dive into how our employees are feeling. We are a remote organization, and so the opportunity to really drop by somebody's desk and strike up a conversation isn't fair. And so we found ways around it where state interviews, I think, have been working quite well for us. And it's probably something that we will continue to be doing, again, so long as a plan is in place to be able to tackle a lot of the items that we see as recurrent. Well, I'm glad you shared that. And Robin, I'm glad you picked up on that and we were able to delve a little deeper. Kathy, this has been such great information you provided for us today. I really want to thank you for joining us and sharing all of the information. I know Al and I picked up a bunch of new information. We're going to talk to you after for sure. And I know the audience will for sure. What's the best way for people to reach out to you if they have questions about yourself or what you're doing at OpenCare? Yeah, they can send me an invite, whether it be on LinkedIn or send an email to my OpenCare email. So it'd be Kathy at OpenCare.com. That's awesome. All right, that does it for today's episode. I really enjoyed this conversation. I hope you did too. If you have any questions for Al or myself, please feel free to give us a call or by joining the conversation on LinkedIn. Success leaves clues, my friends. And remember, it all starts with one.